Let's not quickly clap ourselves out of this moment. Father and our God, we are found in your amazing presence. The Word of God tells us that all creation worships the great God of the universe. And every so often, a congregation of people join in with singing. And together with all creation, you listen and are pleased. And so, our Father, we thank you for the privilege it has been to present our offerings to you, offerings of praise, like the disciples of old who said it would be good to make booths and stay here. Father, thank you for the good things you have for us. Thank you for your amazing love. Would you now be pleased to pour into our hearts your word to us? Would you tailor it for each heart? Because we will find ourselves always in different situations with you. And so our Father, thank you that the Holy Spirit works on us individually and now to To him we ask, please fill us. Fill us with the good things of God that we might live lives of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever wanted something so badly that you were willing to do anything to get it? Have you ever made a promise like, if I get this, I will never ask you again for a birthday present or a Christmas present. I've been been promised this a number of times. (laughs) And of course, when the big gala event shows up, the memory fades about this spectacular promise that was made. Have you ever valued something so immensely that everybody around you knew exactly what it was that was your most prized possession? Oh yeah, Elroy loves whatever. Imagine for a moment taking a child into a toy store and telling them, you can have the most expensive toy in this store for free. It's going to be on me. But you add, but you must want it with all your heart. Now, why would you add that? Because even a gift, even a special, spectacular gift that is not valued, will fall into inattention. I wonder this morning, if you've ever treasured something so much that you wanted everyone in the sphere of your life to have it. I wonder if you have ever valued Christ that much. A series called Live Big, we are asking another question this morning, or making a statement actually. It has to do with uh, our heartbeat, our passion for having people come to know Christ. It goes something like this, I want people to have what I have. 
Or I want people to want what I have. Let me ask you a question. Do you have what you want? Do you want what you have? Do you love it? Do you treasure it? Friedrich Wilhelm Nietzsche, if the Germans will forgive me for that pronunciation, the 19th century philosopher who hated God and and died insane, said this, If Christians would seem to be more saved than they are, I might believe in their Savior. I wonder, um, I wonder who he encountered in his life. I wonder what the people who claimed to be Christians were like, who he encountered, to make a statement like this. If Christians, I wonder if it could be worded, if Christians would seem to treasure their Savior more, I might believe in their Savior. This morning, um, I want to ask a question of each of you and myself. Are you living big about your salvation? I wonder if you might turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Are you living big about your salvation? And I want to um, read a quote from John Piper, who said that's a good question. Well, not exactly my question, but a question like my question. And he said, here's my answer. We live in a superficially Christianized society where thousands of lost people think they do believe in Jesus. In most of my witnessing to unbelievers and nominal Christians, the command, believe in Jesus and you shall be saved, is virtually meaningless. Drunks on the street say they do. Unmarried couples sleeping together say they do. Elderly people who haven't sought worship or fellowship for 40 years say they do. Every stripe of world-loving church attendees say they do. So let me ask you a question. Again, are you living big about your salvation? And there's a significant tipping word this morning that is going to be the emphasis of our day. And it's not duty. It's not effort. It's not even sacrifice. And it's certainly not a believe like you believe in gravity. The tipping word is going to be found in this text, this particular parable that Jesus, from his own lips, shared with those around him concerning the question, are you living big about your salvation? In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44, I want to read two verses to you this morning. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. The tipping word to answer this question this morning is not whether or not you are duty-bound enough, whether or not you have expended enough effort, whether or not you are committed to sacrifice, whether or not you are committed to believe like you believe in gravity, the tipping word is, drum roll, treasure. 
treasure. How many knew it but were afraid to say it? How many just don't want to cooperate with me this morning? (laughs) Hands go up everywhere. Treasure. Jesus um, is expressing here what it means to be in the kingdom of heaven. What it looks like. Now, the issue of the kingdom of heaven, of course, could be the uh, essence of a hundred or a thousand sermons. I need to condense it into a few seconds. What is the kingdom of heaven? What does he mean by the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is fundamentally not a place, but a reign. It's used interchangeably in the scriptures. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ. What the kingdom of heaven is all about is this. To accept and do the will of God. And the statement that's being made, the picture that's being painted here by the Lord Christ himself is, are you accepting the reign of Christ in your life? Are you experiencing the will of God in your life? Are you embracing the rule of Christ in your life? You formally were ruled by yourself. And when you move into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, it now means that Christ is reigning and ruling in your life. And Jesus wants all of us to know what that looks like. In our Live Big sermon series, it seems to me, if we are going to be abundant living people, we need to know what it is to be people of the, of the kingdom of heaven. And and to welcome it into our lives. And he he gives two pictures here of of the kingdom of heaven and what it's like. He says, first of all, it's it's like treasure, excuse me, treasure hidden in a field. Now, by the way, we we need, in order to understand this text, we need to go back in time and understand the context of the culture and the customs of Jesus' audience. Because not many of us are anticipating that we would ever find a treasure hidden in a field. But it was a rabbinic saying back in the day of Jesus' time that it would be better to hide your treasure in the earth in light of the various dangers of of living in that day and age when, in fact, war could fall upon you very quickly and your house could be plundered in a second. But if you hid your treasure in the earth, it would be safe. I have to say that... um, No disrespect to bankers or investment counselors or portfolio managers or all of that, but maybe today would be a good time. (laughs) But I digress. Yes, someone said move on. An investment counselor, no doubt. As D.A. Carson put it, finding a treasure like this would be something that would take a thousand lifetimes to happen, but it could. Because people would actually bury their treasure in a field. And Jesus says uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And all of a sudden a man comes along and finds it. Just out of the blue. But notice here it says that, that he hid it again. And then he goes and he sells everything he has and he buys the field. Again, you need a little bit of cultural help. 
uh, rabbinic law said that the find belonged to the finder, providing he could procure it. So if he were to have lifted the treasure out of the field, it would no longer belong to him, it would belong to the person who currently owned the field. So that's why he left it there and went away and sold everything he had and came back and purchased the field so that the treasure would now be his by law. The finding of this treasure was too good to be true. And this man decided that so valuable was this, even though he he didn't scrutinize it, he didn't take out all the things and look at how much the treasure was, he just simply realized this is so valuable, I must sell everything I have and buy the field. Now I want you to know here that Jesus is not talking about treasures and fields and farmers digging potholes. He is talking about the attitude and enthusiasm and exuberance of what it is to understand the value of the kingdom of heaven. And by the way, the key fact here is it's not in finding the treasure, is it? It's in having the treasure that is emphasized here. This man doesn't find this treasure and say, you know what, that's a really great looking thing. I'm really excited about it. I'm going to look at that this Sunday and I'm going to, I'm going to go away. I'm going to come back and look at that thing next Sunday as well. No, the, the, the value is that, that he procures it because it's so valuable to him. It's not in the, in the finding of it, but in the having of it that he treasures it. Without fully scrutinizing the specifics, he makes this great choice. The treasure is his. But in case that wasn't enough for the audience, Jesus gives another picture. And he says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, we need another uh, cultural uh, help to understand the nature of why someone would be so excited about pearls. I don't know, maybe some women here are excited about pearls. Pearls are all right. But most women say, give me diamonds. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. In that particular time, pearls were regarded the way we regard diamonds. So to find the finest pearl is like finding the hope diamond. And so this merchant, who is the collector of pearls, sees this pearl of great value, of immense value, and he goes and he sells all the pearls, all the lesser pearls he has, so that he can buy this great treasure pearl. In fact, um, the idea here is that um, He's already invested in some things that are important to him. He's been looking for things. He's been searching for philosophies or beliefs or ideas or religions or recreational or leisure pursuits. He's acquired many of these things that he once thought were valuable pearls, but suddenly he comes upon the pearl of greatest value he has ever encountered. And he gladly sells all of his other pearls 
to have this pearl. I hope you're, um, you're joining the emotion and enthusiasm and descriptions and energy with which Jesus is offering this picture. Those who have spent their whole lives chasing other directions will gladly exchange everything else when they comprehend the huge value of the good news message of Jesus and his kingdom. That's what he's teaching. They discover the loveliest of all possessions. And there's two different types of people here. Do you notice there's, there's the non-seeker, the one who just happened upon the field. He, he was likely plowing or working the field for someone and he happens upon this treasure. And he realizes that he has struck something that is so amazing that he must sell everything to have it. The other person is seeking. He's always seeking for some sort of thing that will satisfy him. He's purchasing things all over the world, and and then he comes upon this spectacular, valuable pearl when he comprehends its value in comparison to all that he has in life. There's no contest. And so he sells all that he can, all that he has to have this pearl. I hope you've noticed in this particular picture that there's, there's no mention really of sacrifice or of duty or of obligation or of family custom. It's all about joy and value. Jesus uh, Jesus paints a picture of the kingdom of heaven and coming into the kingdom of heaven to be about joy that is overflowing when you discover how valuable the treasure of Christ is. It's all about value when you, when you stack Christ up against all the other things there are in the world or in your life. There is no contest. That's the picture of those not unique special, unusual types of people in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is proclaiming to us the normal picture of those in the kingdom of heaven. For many of us, we think this is fanatical. These people are way over the top. No, Jesus is, Jesus is painting a picture that, that this is the normal Christian life. This is what it means to be saved. This is what it means to have Christ in your life. That he is the treasure of your life in comparison to all other things. There is nothing that can compare. Are you overjoyed with with what you have found? Especially as you get to unpack it through your life and notice that that as you dig further into that treasure, it just becomes more and more valuable. I I can imagine this man as he he bought the field and he goes and he grabs that treasure and he digs it out and he plunks it up on the thing and and he grabs his wife and he brings his children. He says, look what I have found. Look what I have. And they go through it and they're looking. Look at this grab bag of amazing things. And in his unbridled enthusiasm, he tells everybody, wouldn't he? He tells everybody about the great opportunity, except the guy he bought the field from. He tells everybody about the amazing find. He can't hold back. He can't contain himself. Imagine the pearl merchant. He spent his life in pearls. 
And he finds the pearl of greatest value, the pearl that he's, he's, he's never seen something so gorgeous. You know he's going to. He's going to show that to everybody. You've got to see this pearl. Look at this pearl. I sold every pearl I ever had to have this pearl. Jesus said, that's the kind of person who's in the kingdom of heaven. And I thought to myself, you know, we wonder why not a whole lot of people are in the kingdom of heaven. Maybe, maybe we don't want what we have badly enough. Maybe we don't value what we have enough. Maybe we don't understand the treasure. The songs we were singing this morning were filled with treasure. That, that I've been redeemed from my sin. I was unclean. I was, I was forgiven. I was unholy. I was, I was unworthy and I'm redeemed. I'm purchased by God out of the slave market of sinfulness and brought into his amazing kingdom of light called the kingdom of heaven where I have the treasure of Christ. And when our worship pastor asks us to sing with all of our hearts, how can we hold back? How can we not sing with unbridled enthusiasm, treasuring Christ alone? Do you value it enough to sell all you have all over again to have it? By the way, trading everything here is neither pictured as sacrifice or hardship. It's pictured as pure joy and value. Pure joy and value. Uh, in um, C.S. Lewis's autobiography, um, he entitles it, Surprised by Joy. That's the essence of this. He comes upon Christianity and he's surprised by joy. Unspeakable. and Full of glory. The expectation of Christ for those who obtain this treasure is that they will show and tell God's treasure. And you will if God's treasure has first captivated you. Has it? I believe mission fails not because we don't understand our duty and our obligation. And not even because we would be unwilling to sacrifice. I think mission fails because we don't treasure Christ. I think that's it. We will gladly sacrifice. Duty will not be duty. Obligation will not be obligation. These, these people didn't... didn't he, when he found the treasure, he didn't shrug off and say, oh, i got to go and buy a field. That's not the picture. Oh, another person has asked me to buy a great pearl. What's the deal there? This is, this is joy and enthusiasm and value, uncontained enthusiasm of a beyond satisfied customer, carried away in joy. Have you ever met somebody like that who's purchased something and they're just like over the top? They phone you up and they tell you all about this thing. You got to hear what this is like. I'm a, I'm a so far over the top satisfied customer. That's what Christianity is. Has Christ disappointed you? Did you not get what you thought you were getting? Haven't you got more than you ever thought or dreamed or imagined? We want to live lives where people look at us and say, I'm having what they're having. I want to have what he has. Isn't that what it is? Isn't that what Jesus is offering us here? 
No one needs to tell these two what to do, the farmer or the pearl merchant. The treasure itself tells them what to do. Let me share with you Piper's paraphrase of this particular section of Scripture. He gives Christ's intended message in this parable, and it's very, very straightforward, as John Piper always is. We are born again when Christ becomes our treasure, period. I don't think we... um, I don't think we have so described that in our own lives. We are born again when Christ is the treasure of our life. If we wonder why Friedrich Nietzsche could say something like, I would believe in salvation when Christians live more like they're saved, it tells me that there are a lot of people in the big tent called Christianity, who don't treasure Christ. And Jesus, I think, says here, if you don't treasure Christ, there's no reason for you to assume that you're in the kingdom of heaven. i, I got to say that um, this takes me back. This, this, uh, this is pretty serious business. This is um, something that is fairly um, direct and offers very little loose room for um, maybes and possibilities. Selling for these people was not losing and buying was not a sacrifice, but there was an exchange of values necessary, notice. Many people take more delight in riches or revenge or recreation than they do in God. Choosing your treasure is the requirement of kingdom living and kingdom impact. By the way, its value to those with spiritual eyes makes their choice easy. When they set eyes on the treasure, it was obvious what they would do. So spectacular is the find Now, the foolish choice, of course, would be to find the treasure and fail to sell all you have to obtain it. To be staring at it from a distance or up close or to be always debating the exchange, the exchange rate, doubting its value. To come into a setting like this where the treasure is laid out for you and to stare at it and walk away, to be debating whether or not the investment was worthwhile. What a tragedy! You've missed the point. No one needs to tell these two what to do. Selling everything is a condition. Not for finding it, but for having it. And for sharing in its incredible value and worth. Some of you might be wiggling around in your pew just a little bit right now saying, wait a second, is Pastor Rick taking us in a journey on the whole idea of works for salvation? Is anybody wondering that? Well, I would never take you there because the Bible wouldn't take you there. Notice, selling everything is not what's done to find the prize. The prize is found first. And then everything 
in terms of action follows that. Do you see that? The man is digging in the field and he comes across this hidden treasure. It wasn't because of himself. It was by grace that he found this treasure. The pearl merchant's out there buying all kinds of things. And then suddenly, someone presents to him the greatest pearl he's ever seen. By grace. And then when they see what they have, There's an awakening in their lives. They realize the greatness of the treasure and are willing to buy, to to sell anything in their life to have it. In Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And those who have the ultimate treasure draw attention to that treasure. They trade gladly what they have to have this treasure. Can I say to you that um, Jesus wants to make it abundantly clear that, that God will not be tolerated. He must be treasured. And when I think about the whole concept of living big and what that really means and what it really looks like, it seems to me that um, the great danger is that we at one point in our lives, maybe realize the significance of this treasure. And we embraced it. And we gladly sold everything we had. We, we, we gladly put everything in secondary place for the great value and joy of the treasure of Christ. But, but somewhere along the journey, it became familiar to us. We, we no longer are struck by the immense value, the treasure that we have in Christ. And so I think it's important for us to understand that there is a strategy for making sure that that God continues to be the treasure of your life, that Christ is the treasure of your life. Your treasure... You will treasure him when you intentionally choose to remind yourself of him. Otherwise, you will forget about God. You ever been away from someone for a period of time and you can't get a picture of them in your mind? Has that ever happened to you? I mean, someone who you really know well and then you're away from them for a period of time and you can't, you can't get a picture. It's, it's something that... It's, it's very, that's, that's what happens if we forget about God. If we don't intentionally treasure God... And make God our treasure by thinking about him and thinking about how valuable he is to us on a regular basis. We will forget about him. And we will lose the enthusiasm of this great treasure. Before I started dating Lynn, she was, um, happened to be in a bridesmaid in a wedding that was near and dear to my heart. And uh, there were pictures taken of her and I happened to acquire some of those pictures. And I remember, I was thinking at the time of asking her out, so I just started staring at these pictures, and I kept looking at her and thinking, she is so gorgeous, I have to risk asking her out. And I'd, I'd, I'd lose courage. And so I'd have to get a picture out the next day. I'd get a picture out again, I'd look at it, and I'd say, she's so gorgeous, I have to ask her out. Yeah, put that picture away and go to the phone. I can't do it. 
I'd go back and get the pictures again, and I'd, I'd go through a couple more and say, I can't see this girl marrying some other guy. I've got to ask her out. And I believe that, that that's what it means to, to treasure something, and that's what it looks like when we treasure God. That, that, that's why the early church, they, they met every day. I think they so treasured Christ, they just couldn't get enough of him, and so they wanted to gather with each other, and they wanted to tell each other, I want you to know this about Christ, and the other person, I want you to know this about Christ. Imagine if we were in our workplaces, or in our campuses, or in our schools, or wherever we are, and we're talking to each other, I want you to know this about Christ. i got to tell you this about Christ. And we were so enthusiastic. People would surely say, I need to know something about your Christ. With the last few minutes that we have, I just want to paint all over again a brief picture of God. And who he is and what he means to you. And, and the value that he is. And, and it, it's, it's, a, it's a small offering. Because there's so much to the immensity of God. I, I, by the way, I received this idea from Francis Chan's book, Crazy Love, which I encourage you to read, about being in love with God. And I, I want tonight as well to continue on with this whole idea of what it means to live big. And tonight I want to, point, I want to show you in a visual how big is big. Because I think if you get a sense of the bigness of God in your life, and that this bigness and abundance has been granted to you in Christ as a treasure, as a great value, you would be willing to sell everything you have and, and, and embrace all that Christ wants. I want you to know that God is holy. God is totally distinct. He is incomparable. It's impossible to exaggerate God. You can't come up with enough superlatives... To talk about God. Imagine this. And you have him. This is your valued treasure. This holy God. Who is totally distinct. Incomparable. Impossible to exaggerate. Who, who by the way. Cannot make a mistake. Or do anything wrong. He doesn't want to do anything wrong. And if you hitch the wagon. Of your life to this God. He, he will never direct you incorrectly. He can't direct you incorrectly. Because he's a holy God. Imagine that as a treasure for your life. Not only is he a holy God, which it says in the, in, the, in the scriptures, but it also says he's an eternal God. He's immense and famous and, and gigantic. And, and, and it says in the scriptures, but you, O Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all ages. And, and it gives this picture of heaven is God's throne and the earth is his footstool. And, and we want to look tonight at the immensity of the heavens in, in, just a, br- in, 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 a, in a very limited human way to get a picture of the eternal immenseness of God. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. He is the eternal God. And by the way, in this immensity of who God is, you, a little tiny speck in the universe, matter. I mean, think about that. Think about the incredible value and treasure of having the Lord of creation who called the heavens and earth into existence. This immense God who the earth itself is merely his footstool and he cares about you individually. Your life matters to him. He's a holy God. He's an eternal God. He's an all-knowing God. He knows stuff. 
It's nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before his, the eyes of him in whom we must give account. You know, um, each of us no doubt have some things in our life that we think, you know, if somebody, if this so-and-so knew this or this so-and-so knew that about me, they wouldn't really like me. They wouldn't love me. God knows everything about you, every detail. He knows every thought before you think it. And he loves you. Think about that. He knows every detail. And he loves you anyway. What a treasure to have a friend. We have a friend in God. Well, all others may abandon you. Your family, your friends, everyone may leave you. God loves you. No matter what your personality quirks are, God loves you. He knows stuff. He knows everything. Not only is he all-knowing, but he's all-powerful. He knows stuff, and he can do something about it on your behalf. Is that not amazing? Is that not a treasure? I mean, think about it. He knows what's going on before you could even know about it. He steers your life. I mean, each of us who are commuting to Toronto uh, on, on any given day, turn on the radio to hear the reports of what the road reports are. What should I avoid? What should I do? This God knows every road report that could ever possibly be made long in advance. And, and imagine the things that God has kept us from that we don't even know. And the, th- the ways God steers us that are, that are for our own good. God is all-powerful. Our God is in heaven, and he does whatever pleases him. And it pleases him to love you and to care for you and to say, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. This is the God we have. This is the treasure you have been given. He has forgiven you and has now brought you into his kingdom and loves you to pieces. What a treasure. What a value. And then finally, just because time is limited, there are so many other things we could say about God. He is fair and just. He hates what you hate. Don't you hate it when people misjudge your motives or your ideas or things? They they don't know or they treat you unfairly because they, they think something and it's not necessarily true. Do you realize that God always knows? He always knows exactly what your motives are. And if, if you're being unfairly treated, in, you're standing in the courtroom figuratively before God, he will treat you fairly. If you're being treated unjustly, and nobody else knows it, God always knows it. And he alone sees you in his courtroom as exonerated. He doesn't settle all of your counts every night for you. There's a whole lot of stuff goes on in our lives that is tough and painful and all of that. But one thing for sure, God knows accurately what's going on. He is the rock. His works are perfect. And all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. This is the treasure. Jesus says, look at it. Now go and sell anything you have. So that you can be passionate. With no strings attached. No ties that distract you. So that you can give yourself wholeheartedly to Christ. There are a lot of people, I think, who are staring at the treasure. But as the scriptures tell us in John 1.12, to all who received the treasure, to them he gives the right to be called the children of God. And Jesus says, receiving the treasure is all about joy and value. 
Our Father and our God, I ask that you might open up our eyes in a fresh way to see Christ as treasure. Reignite in our hearts a a callousness or a coolness that has developed. I hope, Lord, that we haven't become, that you haven't become common to us. You are anything but common. You are spectacular. I pray, Father, that we as a people will be willing to give anything for the treasure of Christ alone. May this be the prayer of our hearts. For Jesus' sake, amen. One person had an interesting insight after the first service and brought to my attention the question, what if you don't have enough to give? You might not get the treasure. And then we realized together as we looked at the scripture text that everyone has enough because God wants all of you. Whatever you have, give it to him. It's enough to value the treasure of Christ. I can tell you the people around you, they're not really interested in your customs or your costumes or even your celebrations. They are interested in your treasure. That's what makes a difference and an impact in their lives. And by way of application, just let me share a couple of thoughts with you. I... I think we have an opportunity here out of this text in our our Live Big series to to form a a vision that that might be called something like TLC Durham Region. Treasuring the Lord Christ Durham Region. And what would that look like? It would look like stepping forward and saying, Lord, whatever... Whatever it takes, we're willing to do it. We're willing to sell, we're willing to give, we're willing to set aside for the treasure of Christ and to make the treasure of Christ known in the Durham region. I want to encourage you to, by way of application, help us think creatively and, and intentionally about how we can reach our community for Christ. I want to encourage you to, to get behind this this campus church ministry of reaching kids on the campus of UIT and Durham College with a passion, with, with great enthusiasm and energy. I, Pastor Calvin's going to be in the lobby after the service with a booth that's set, that's set there with, with opportunity for you to sign up to do something, to say, Lord, I want to set aside this treasure in favor of you as the only treasure of my life. I, I, count me in. This week, Pastor Calvin's going to meet with the mayor of our city. And ask the mayor, what are the needs of the Durham region? What are the needs of Oshawa that we can meet as a congregation? We need to be enthusiastic about this as a congregation. Get behind the the leadership vision of of trusting and treasuring the Lord Christ on behalf of our region. With a passion that we perhaps never have before. It's going to require that you treasure God and then step forward. And we don't want to be doing stuff that everybody else is doing, that, that they're good things that they're already doing, but we want to step forward and, and find other ways to tell, take our treasure to the people of, of the Durham region. We want to make sure that we encourage you to be passionate about our at-risk ministries here in the city, our refuge ministry and our pregnancy help center ministry, and, and ways that you can step forward and say to those people, Christ is my treasure. I gladly give everything for the cause of Christ. That we might 
Be passionate about our own ministry here at, at Ritson and Rosalind. That you go pick up your offering envelopes after this service and say, Lord, count me in. My treasure belongs to you, the treasure of my life. We have upgrades and facilities that are needed and expanding of their capacities and, 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 and reaching multiple locations, having centers of Christ worship all over Durham region because of, of the energy of people who treasure Christ here at Calvary. Can I encourage you to make this application about being missional? And we will, we will not be missional because we are told what to do out of duty or because we do it because we're willing to sacrifice or because we feel obligated. I stand before you today and say, isn't Christ amazing? Therefore, we know what to do. We know what to do. Father, Christ is the treasure of our lives. And by comparison, there is no contest. So we give ourselves to you at the beginning of this year Make us a live big people, praising the Lord, treasuring Christ, treasuring the Lord Christ in behalf of the Durham region. Lord, we treasure you. Now help us to treasure you. For Jesus' sake.